It's time for Silver and Black Today Game Day. We're breaking down the Raiders' upcoming game and bring you in-depth analysis from National Football Insiders. Let's get the nation fired up. Here are your hosts, Scott Goldbranson and Mo Moten. It is game day again, Raider Nation. It is Silver and Black Today Game Day, your pregame show here on The Fan in Las Vegas. I am Scott Colbranson, joined by my partner, Mr. Mo Moten. He is a national NFL writer at Bleacher Report, also a contributor up on our VegasSportsToday.com. Mo, we go into week three. The Raiders are 2-0. and oh. Who would have thought it? I think a lot of people thought it. I thought it was possible. I didn't think it was probable, but here we are, my friend. Yeah, I'm still basking in the glow of 2-0. <laughs> Uh, Raiders fans are probably like, what do you mean? You What do you mean basking? You picked us to lose. Well, listen, the reverse jinx worked. It I did. picked against the Raiders and they win. So you can kind of thank me for this, Raider fans. You can kind of, you know, pass me a little you know, pat on the back. You know? <laughs> uh, all credit goes to the Raiders. 2-0, going for 3-0 in Vegas. That would be huge if they can move up to 3-0. A lot more people. Some people aren't taking them leg- as a legit contender yet. May have to change their minds if they win this game. Yeah, and, and I think, you know what? I, I, I see Raider fans, and again, I, I try to put my fan hat to understand the mindset sometimes. And I get mm-hmm. people get up, say, oh, nobody's taking us seriously. It's like, well, you're 2-0, and you've kind of been not very good for 20 years so you have to understand that the national media some of some Raider fans don't care about the national media and I get that and that's totally cool but other fans really want that validation that things are going in the right direction I think it's also a psychology thing where they're like just please tell me we are doing the right thing here um but I do think it's going to take a few more weeks right two and oh they did get some love this week uh and I I do think that uh when they play and they kick off this afternoon against Miami, this is a team that people are watching and they understand is a surprise and that maybe just maybe everything's falling into place. And so that's going to be a good thing. Uh, but we do, as we do every show here on Sunday mornings on Silver and Black Today game day, is we like to revisit the past game and then Mo and I will talk about a little bit about where the Raiders are. Uh, but our, our, our um, correspondent, David Stepanian, uh, has this report about the Steelers game because we want you to relive the magic one more time. So here's David Sapanian with a recap of last week's win in Pittsburgh. The Silver and Black headed to Heinz Field last Sunday for the first time since 2015 to face the Pittsburgh Steelers. The home team has won five in a row in this series and five of the last six games had been decided by exactly three points each. Raiders trying to prove their upset of Baltimore was no fluke, and Pittsburgh intent on showing their double-digit comeback against Buffalo was no lucky break. We start things off relatively slow as Daniel Carlson hits two field goals early for the Raiders to take a 6-0 lead. It wasn't until late in the second quarter that Pittsburgh was able to score the first touchdown of the game. Some creativity. Important to note, T.J. Watt was injured in the second quarter and would not return. A critical loss for the Pittsburgh defense, and this game was a battle of defenses as the Silver and Black put pressure on Big Ben throughout the game. Second and nine. Roethlisberger. He was looking long, nothing there, and he's sacked at the 29-yard line. Raiders continue to get pressure. Jonathan Hankins working his way inside 
for Las Vegas. Without Josh Jacobs, Derek Carr looked to the air and trusted Henry Ruggs, who led all receivers with 113 yards on five catches, including this strike for 30 yards that would set up the first TD of the game for the Raiders. Going up in Myrtle Beach. Carr, connection made. Henry Ruggs. The catch and loop for Ruggs. Shotgun. Carr lost it. Touchdown, Foster Moreau. The Raiders cash in. And they're getting it done through the air. But down nine, the Steelers would not go away. Big Ben was in this position last week against Buffalo, a two-possession game in the second half there, and Pittsburgh managed to come out on top of that one. Let's head to the fourth. Pittsburgh needs to do something here to stay alive when Najee Harris makes a play to keep hope alive. Critical third down and ten. Roethlisberger hits those man, and it's Najee Harris diving. Harris is in. Touchdown. A catch and run. Now with the ball back and time running out, the Raiders have a chance to just about put this thing out of reach. Raiders on their own 40 when Derek Carr takes a shot at Henry Ruggs to put this thing on ice. Third down and 10. Airing it out. Carr. It is caught. Henry Ruggs is gone. Touchdown Raiders. Sprinter speed. Just throw it up there if you're Derek Carr and let Ruggs go and get it. 61 yards. Raiders win for the first time at Heinz Field since 2009 and start 2-0 in back-to-back years for the first time since 1983 and 84. Derek Carr ended the game on 28 of 37 passing with 382 yards and two TDs. Big Ben completed 27 of 40 for 295 yards, a TD, and a pick. Next up for the Raiders is the Miami Dolphins. For Silver and Black Today, I'm David Stepanian. There you go. Audio courtesy of our friends at CBS Sports. Speaking of your Ruggs comment, yes. I, I, I had to tweet out his entire name. I had to tweet out Henry Ruggs third because he deserved that full name reference yes. after that touchdown. And it was good. As you said, it was good to see him break out for that big bomb. Well, and, and the thing forgotten about that was you want that of Henry Ruggs. There's no question because the speed, 21 miles an hour, we saw the, the next-gen stats about that, all of it. But at the same time, in, throughout the game, they were using him in the routes you and I have talked about the last couple of weeks on this show, using those crossing routes, the shorter routes. And he broke one of those for, I think it was 12 or 14 yards uh, earlier in the game. So you start to see the Raiders and Derek Carr starting to get a rhythm. And that's a huge jump for both Carr and for that Raiders offense. Yeah, you add a little variety to his route tree, and he'll, he'll, he'll surpass 100 yards as he did against the Pittsburgh Steelers. It's just a matter of now consistency between he and Brian Edwards, two young receivers in their second year together. Now, Mo, we, we talked about on our Friday show down in Southern California about not getting too high and not getting too low starting at 2-0. You should be happy about it, and you talked about the glow at the top of the show. But you look at this, and I said it last week here with you in uh, on this um, show here on The Fan in Las Vegas, that... Boy, if they could go get this win with all of the injuries they had, all the question marks that they had on the offensive line, that would be huge. Now, I saw a lot of fans say, well, now it shows you how deep they are. Do you think that this team is that deep, or do you think that perhaps some of them, and it's fine because timing is everything, are playing a little bit above their heads, and we're seeing a little bit of that as well? I'll say it's development. I, I'll give. You I'll go. lean on. I'll lean on the side of giving credit. Yeah. I mean, look at what happened in that last game. Um, I believe it was Alex Leatherwood going out with an oblique injury, and then Brandon Parker had to come in and hold down at right tackle. 
You mentioned uh, the offensive line getting plug-ins with Jermaine Illuminar coming in. The Raiders signed Illuminar a week before the season. Amazing. And he is now there. He is now their starting guard and holding it down where Richie Incognito was out, why Denzel Good has a torn ACL and he's out. So I want to give credit and clap it up for Tom Cable because he's <laughs> yes. doing a pretty good job. Now, it's not perfect. Now, I don't expect it to be perfect because there's a new offensive line and guys have the gel and form, you know, bonds and chemistry and all of that stuff, but they're doing enough to give Derek Carr enough time to deliver some bombs downfield to Henry Ruggs, deliver some passes over to Waller and Hunter Renfro and Brian Edwards and Zay Jones for a game winner. They're doing just enough to get the job done. And I think they should be applauded for that. Yeah, and the the uh, Tom Cable the last couple years with all the injuries last year with COVID and that offensive line. You remember the game against Tampa, and of course they got beat in that game. But the fact that he's able to get a team out there and this team with those injuries with Leatherwood going out early with Incognito still Incognito, um, mm-hmm. we you know you you needed somebody to step up and do it. You saw Brandon Parker have a really good game, Mo, and so I think your your word and thank you for for doing that development is key, and that's what you got to see out of those players that's how you get depth you don't get depth by going to buy it you get depth by drafting young guys who need a little bit of work but who have promise and they do they develop there and that's exactly what you're seeing there now Derek Carr of course you talked about them protecting Derek Carr Derek Carr off to this amazing start people who hate Derek Carr are probably just crying in in their in their coffee every morning but Derek Carr to me Mo, despite all the numbers, he's always had the arm. He's always had the talent. There's no question about it. I've never questioned that about Derek Carr. But now the confidence, the pocket presence, the mastery of the Gruden offense just seems to now be that next notch up. Now, you said one thing that I want to key on, pocket presence. And Mm -hmm. the one thing that I noticed about Derek Carr in the first two games is in previous years, he may have had some issues, may have been a little frenetic when the inside pressure gets to him. Now he doesn't seem rattled if there if there's a defensive tackle that breaks through if there's a hand in his face he seems fine with that as you said there's a confidence in his pocket presence when he throws the ball downfield when he steps up into the pocket he is not worried about the inside rush he's not worried about the outside rush despite having a revamped offensive line you would think that because he has some new guys up front that he's gonna have you know his head on a swivel no he's looking downfield he's looking to deliver that ball to Henry Ruggs. Brian Edwards and Darren Waller downfield, and it's working out. And it's and you can see it in his play. Again, he exudes confidence when he's in the pocket. And you can see it in, in his production. And it's actually paying off, as you said. Leads the league in passing yards, 817. And he's in the MVP talk again. I know it's early, <laughs> but it's still, but he's still at the top of the league right now as far as uh, statistics are concerned when it comes to passing yards. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, I look at quarterbacks around the league. Of course, Tom Brady's doing crazy stuff. I swear to God, he's an alien. Um, he's doing things at his age that people younger aren't doing. And of course, you have Kyler Murray's had a great start and Derek Carr's had a great start. Those three guys, to me, are the best guys in the league right now. And Derek Carr is doing it with an offensive line. You talked about this in your piece up on, on VegasSportsToday.com that a lot of people say, well, he got a defense now, so that's why he's doing so well. Mo, that's not the case, is it? No, it's not that simple. A lot of people want to simplify it down to, okay, he has a defense, so more possessions, and this is why he's put up these big numbers. And I, and I pause a little bit, and I think that's, again, robbing him of the praise that he deserves in this MVP early MVP talk is because, again, his two, two of his starting receivers – have not played two full seasons yet. They're still inconsistent in Henry Ruggs and Brian Edwards. 
his offensive line, a makeshift offensive line, where, as I said, a guy they signed a week before the season. They already have Richie Incognito has not played a game yet. Denzel Good is out for the season. Uh, their mm-hmm. first-round pick had to step out of the second half of the Pittsburgh Steelers game. Alex led the wood, and Brandon Parker had to come in. Raiders fans used to hold their breath when Parker came in, and he held his own. So give him credit for that. But Derek Carr has played in at a at a high level despite some of the obstacles that he has. And I don't think you should overlook the fact that he has some uh, inexperienced group and he's leading that group to, to W's right now. Absolutely. And of course we had good news midweek as even though he's listed as questionable, uh, John Gruden said Derek Carr will be a go. He also said Alex Leatherwood was a full participant the last few days of practice. That does not mean he will play, but clearly he's starting to feel better. And that's a good sign. If they can get Leatherwood back out there, uh, then you have a little more depth. You have an opportunity to get that rookie, the experience he needs. Now, Mo, the running game. We have, we have about three minutes left here uh, before we hit our first break. Uh, but the running game, how concerned should fans be about the running game after two games? I think they should be a bit concerned because Josh Jacobs, we don't know when he'll be back. We don't know when he's going to suit up again, uh, has, has a foot toe ankle injury. So I, I think when he gets back, I think the run game can get back on track. But if you're, if you're looking at Peyton Barber being your lead ball carrier, I red flag that as an <laughs> issue. But as I said earlier in the show, if you can get the short passing game running with Kenyon Drake and just toss him the short pass, yeah, you can you can kind of use that as your run game because of those high percentage throws that you you can move the ball downfield with a short reception. Yeah, he did well on that. Those uh, couple bubble screens too worked really well with him. And and I I was arguing with some po- people on Twitter during the game saying how does Kenyon Drake not get? He's making that money. He needs to to do that. Mm-hmm. But not only that, you and I were texting during the game, and you said it. You said he's just the better running back. He, so, he is, yeah. and, and, and what I don't understand is not again not to dump on Peyton Barber, no. but he was he was one of the final cuts on the Washington Football Team for an undrafted rookie, Jared Patterson. <laughs> There's a reason for that. Give the ball to the better running back, who is Kenyon Drake. But I my guess is that Gruden wants to save Kenyon Drake for the short passing game and not wear him down and give him 20 touches. So maybe that's the logic behind it. But if Peyton Barber is your lead ball carrier, a little bit of concern, but good thing that. Derek Carr is playing at the level he's playing at, doesn't need a run game, still putting up big numbers. He's still putting up big numbers, of course, also doing extremely well. And we'll talk about it uh, later in the show as well as the Raiders defense. Max Crosby is a force and he continues to do that. But not only Max Crosby, the Raiders have only blitzed twice this season. And they're getting that pressure from the four men out front. I never thought I would see that, Mo. And here they are. They're doing it. And it's making a huge difference for the team. It feels like a dream, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. This is just not too long ago. Every week, it seems like we complain, where's the pass rush? Where's yes. the pass rush? And now you're getting it with four guys up front. As you just said, the Raiders don't blitz very much. Two times, I believe they've blitzed the least of any team in the league, yet they're top five in quarterback pressures. Amazing. Wait, somebody needs to start building the statue for Gus Bradley right now. And if they yes. don't do it, I... I'll get I'll it's get amazing. the material. I'll get the brick and I'll start building it myself. <laughs> it's amazing how a change in leadership and getting the right leader with the right talent on the field has such a big difference out there on defense. And to me, they're doing that. And the one thing I also love to see um, is the fact that they are getting 
takeaways. And takeaways are everything, right? The Raiders have been, not only have they been the league lowest in defense, but in all the other categories, interceptions, fumble recoveries, uh, and of course on third down, all those different things have been a struggle, but not anymore so far for the Raiders. All right, we're up against our first break here on Silver and Black today, game day, but we're only getting started. Mo and I, when we come back from the break, we're going to be with Jeremy Klump from Dolphins Digest here only on Silver and Black Today Game Day on The Fan in Las Vegas. Raider Nation is fired up. It's Silver and Black Today Game Day. Welcome back. It is game day here in Las Vegas coming up later this afternoon. Out at Allegiant Stadium, your 2-0 Raiders host the Miami Dolphins. So we want to jump in the water, dive deep, and learn a little more about the Dolphins. So to do that, we called a friend of Mo Moten's. Yes, he actually has friends. Uh, his name is Jeremy Klump. He is the editor of Dolphin Digest, also has been a contributor over at Fox Sports, Bleacher Report USA Today. You can follow him on Twitter at Nutty X Professor. First of all, Jeremy, being friends with Mo, does that mean you drink avocado smoothies? Absolutely. Definitely does not mean I drink avocado smoothies. <laughs> but I will say... Mo, listen, you didn't convert him? Mo. No, no. Everyone knows this. I love Mo. Mo is one of the best writers out there. If you want to talk about a guy that will just speak the truth, he's not going to have any bias. He's one of the best guys out there. I love Mo. Could you please tell that to the Raider fans out there to hate me, please? <laughs> oh, man. I would, uh, Raiders fans, listen, listen. If Mo's saying something that's making you mad, breathe for a second. He's probably right, and you're just angry because you're a Raiders fan. That, it's that simple, guys. Exactly. And I just got a call from the radio station asking why we didn't charge for that commercial. Uh, but no. <laughs> I love it. But, <laughs> but nonetheless, we got Jeremy on because Jeremy knows all about the Dolphins, uh, and we want to bring him on and talk about that. And I want to start, Jeremy, on the Sunday. We had you on our Friday night show in Southern California, Silver and Black Tonight. Now you're on Silver and Black Today game day and want to talk to you about the Dolphins. You know, the Dolphins had so high expectations, not only down in South Florida, but I think around the league. We saw them out here, of course, with Fitzmagic and his pass against the Raiders uh, and that defense, which is completely different now, as you know. But looking at this Dolphins team, what's been the reason that they've gotten off to this kind of shaky start? Of course, Tua out for this game with the broken ribs, a cracked rib. Uh, they just haven't been what people thought. They were. Where does that problem start and who's to blame at this point? Yeah, I mean, it starts with the offensive line and, and not to just be that football guy that's like it's won and lost in the trenches, but, I mean, the Dolphins' offensive line is atrocious. They they don't have a right tackle. I mean, I honestly would be okay with someone saying they don't have a left tackle. Obviously, Austin Jackson's young, but, I mean, I, they, they can't count on either of their offensive tackles. Their uh, left guard was just benched for a rookie tackle. He's not going to play tackle. He's going to play left guard. Their offensive line can't protect. I, I think Mo said it on the Friday show that they have a 55% rate where they let pressure in from pro football focus. I mean, that just says it all. I think it's one of the worst ever, if not the worst ever. It's uh, it's pretty hard to watch, man. They, they can't run an offense because their, their offensive line can't block. And when their offensive line does block, they have a co-offensive coordinator situation. They have Charlie Fry, who is the quarterback coach, who may be also an offensive coordinator. I mean, it's a disaster, the offense for, for the Miami Dolphins. And that's kind of where it goes. You know, they have this good defense, this great defense, in my opinion. I love the Dolphins' defense. And then the offense is just so bad that it's going to be hard to win football games if you can't score points, which they didn't score one point against the Bills last week. 
So sticking with that offense, you're you're talking about the offensive line and and your worries and your concerns there. I just want to back up a little bit about the quarterback position with Tua. There was some chatter in the offseason about his future, and there were maybe reports connecting the Dolphins to to Deshaun Watson, who, as we know, is facing 22 counts of sexual assault and misconduct. I just want to know your thoughts on those reports, and do you think the Dolphins are the front runners if Watson is cleared of any of these alleged wrongdoings? Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it's definitely one of the best things on Dolphins Twitter to see argued. Uh, I've heard, I've been told privately that the Miami Dolphins 100% have checked in on Deshaun Watson, are still checking in on Deshaun Watson. I've been told further by a pretty good league source that, I mean, Deshaun Watson wants to go to Miami. That's where he wants to go. The Philadelphia Eagles did try to trade for Deshaun Watson, but I guess he doesn't want to waive his no trade clause to go to Philly. Like he wants to be in Miami. So, I mean, that, that I don't think that's going away or going anywhere. I know, obviously, he's got the off-field stuff, and some people get mad that I'm not going to really go into detail on it. I just don't think we should really go into detail on it. We'll, we'll let the facts come out. We'll, we'll see what happens. But it's, it's, a, it's a sticky situation because of that. So I don't know if the Dolphins would trade for him this season. I do know. Trust me, they, they're still keeping tabs. I think uh, Chris Mortensen of ESPN just reported the Dolphins are still, still keeping tabs on Watson. I know Watson let the Dolphins know this week that uh, – you know, he's ready. If they, if they want him, he's ready. He would come to Miami. But the price is pretty steep. Uh, the Texans don't want to do the whole, like, the picks are protected in case he does get suspended thing. So I, I don't know if he'll get traded. But, I mean, the Dolphins 100%. With Tua getting injured again, you, you're lying to yourself if you don't think that they're contemplating trading for this on Watson. So sticking with the quarterback position, I, this may sound like a, a stupid question, but I'm one to ask stupid questions. Um, let's say Jacoby Brissett plays well. You know, for the next couple of weeks, let's say Tua is out for two, three weeks and Jacoby Brissett plays well. Is there a quarterback controversy in Miami? Is that possible? Or do you just ride it out with Tua because you drafted him pretty high and you want to see what he's got? You want to see if he's the guy? Um, you, you couldn't write a worse story for the Dolphins if that would happen. I mean, <laughs> and, and don't be surprised, man. I mean, who knows what's going to happen? Luckily for the Tua fans out there, I mean, the Dolphins have a pretty tough schedule coming up. I mean, they'll get the Colts probably without Carson Wentz. But, I mean, I, I would be lying to you if I said if the Dolphins won and Jacoby Brissett looked good, I would be lying to you if I thought that they wouldn't stick with him and let Tua sit again. Because, I mean, if, if Jacoby's playing well and Tua's going to keep getting injured, I mean, he, he sat out two games last year. Technically, he already sat out a game this year. I count the Bills game last week as, as missing because he only played nine plays. He's going to sit out this game. I thought he could be out four to five weeks. So, I mean, if he's out four to five weeks and say the Dolphins go two and two or even say they go maybe uh, maybe two and three, I mean, if they have a losing record, I don't know. It's going to be tough, but if Brissett looks good, man, it's going to be horrible. Dolphins Twitter will be – I will not even want to be on it. It's going to be a rough place to be. We've been there. And, and I tread lightly. I do tread lightly with what I say sometimes because if I would even say – Brissett looks good. You know how many people would eat me up, man? They would be like, oh, you're a Tua hater. Like, you're crazy. I mean, so I think it's a real that's, – that's not a stupid question, man. I think that is an excellent question, and, and I think that's a question that could become a really, really scary situation if the Dolphins somehow, some way, upset the Raiders on Sunday. Yeah, with your franchise quarterback, the, the guy you at least pegged as your franchise quarterback, that would not – 
good. Again, we're talking to Jeremy Klump. He is the editor of Dolphin Digest. We're previewing the Dolphins and getting a little more in them. And I want to talk about that offensive line, Jeremy, because you mentioned at the beginning that that's why things have gotten off to this rocky start for the Finns. What is this case here? Was this a, a miss by the, the, the front office of the Dolphins to build this offensive line? Because we heard externally that that was the focus, build that offensive line because now you have your franchise quarterback. Yeah, I mean, it was a huge miss. They did try some things. Uh, I mean, they traded for Isaiah Wilson, which I did predict off of Twitter, so that's, that's a little tap on the back for me. Um, Isaiah Wilson obviously didn't work out very well, so that blew up on me. But, you know, he, they did try to trade for him and start at right tackle. They signed DJ Fluker. He got hurt. He's gone. They drafted Liam Eikenberg, but like I said, he's somehow, for some odd, weird reason, starting at left guard over the guy that started at guard for them all last season and is in the second season, Solomon Kinley. Um, I don't know, man. It, it's 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 definitely one of those things to me that's like I just don't get it. I don't get how the Dolphins have struck out so bad at offensive line. I think it was a manual Acho. I might I might have said the wrong Acho there, but one of the Acho guys was on uh, Fox Sports One the other day, and he mentioned that when you have like a good asset, your quarterback's your number one asset. Your left tackle is your number two asset. But since the Dolphins quarterback, Tua, is left-handed, the number one asset is right tackle. And the Dolphins have Jesse Davis starting at right tackle. And I don't know <laughs> if anyone knows who Jesse Davis even is that doesn't follow the Dolphins. <laughs> but I can promise you, Jesse Davis has played for the Dolphins for a few years now. He is not a starter in the NFL. And I respect Jesse Davis. He's a great team leader. All the players rave about him. No one says a bad word about it. But when he's on the field, man, this guy can't block. He, he literally – he – it's like it's it's frustrating. It's actually hard sometimes to watch him play right tackle. That's how bad he misses on some blocks. And if he got two of her, obviously, like everyone said, it's his fault. I mean, hits will happen, but he whiffed. He whiffed, and two got smacked. So I mean, they they tried, but I don't think they tried the right way. They tried to go bargain price shopping. Mm. I mean, they traded for Greg Little. I forgot to add that they traded for Greg Little, which I also predicted Dolphins third. Another little pat on the back. That's two for two on the trades for the tackles. But, I mean, Greg Little, again, I mean, you could argue he's already a bust, and, and they trade a seventh-round pick for him. So they're trying to bargain stop at one of the most important positions in football, if not the most important position, the blindside protector. It's, uh, it's been ugly to watch. It really has. So if you keep his score at home, Jeff- Jeffrey's also mustard dumbest part two, going two for two in his, his prediction. So if he, whatever he says on this show that's positively Raiders, you know it's probably going to happen. But um, everyone expects Max Crosby to crush the Dolphins' offensive line. I want to flip the script a little bit because Derek Carr does have a bit of an ankle injury. They get nicked up in that last game against the Steelers. And the Raiders' offensive line has had its, its issues with penalties and pass protection. So I just want to ask you, is there anyone on that Dolphins defensive front that the Raiders need to key on to protect Carr from? Uh, I'd say Emmanuel Ogba is probably the Dolphins' best pass rusher. I mean, he's obviously solid. I think he had nine sacks last year. But mm-hmm. Raquan Davis is out. He's not playing. Christian Wilkins, I mean, still remains to be seen if he was even worth, worth a first-round pick. Jalen Phillips, who they drafted 18th overall this year, just came out the other day and said that he didn't even know what cover three was when he got to the NFL. So that's the whole thing for Dolphins Twitter. I mean, he has not played – that they played him out of position. He has not really made an impact whatsoever. So, I mean, they're looking for him to do something. Um, it, it, I honestly – if you watch the Patriots game week one, the Dolphins pass rush just 
couldn't do anything. I mean, Patriots have a better offensive line than the Raiders, obviously, but even still, they the, the way the game plan was for the Patriots, they'd snap the ball, and Mac Jones is making the reads. And I think Derek Carr is playing at an MVP level this year. He's on pace. I tweeted the other day. He's on pace for like 6,900 yards passing, which is awesome. That's just a cool stat. Oh, don't get everybody, I mean, don't guy, get everybody overexcited now, Jeremy. Come on. <laughs> I mean, listen, though. Derek Carr is playing good, and I think good quarterbacks, as long as they can, you know, move the chains on third down against the Dolphins, the Dolphins have that bend-don't-break mentality, which really does work for teams in the NFL. The problem is they bend, don't break, give up a field goal, and then the offense goes three and, out, three and out, and then they bend, don't break, give up a field goal, the offense goes three and out again. So it's tough, you know, when the offense doesn't help. So I think it's going to be real tough on those pass rushers. They'll be out on the field a lot. I don't think the Dolphins are deep enough right now to get to Derek Carr. So even if he does have a little bum ankle, I, I think he's going to be okay. I, I think he'll have a pretty solid day in the office. He might throw a pick maybe. You know, Xavier Howard's one of the best players out there, but – I mean, I, I don't see him having a rough day where he's killing himself off the ground much against the Dolphins. Jeremy Klump, of course, uh, he is the editor of Dolphin Digest. He's talking Dolphins with us as the Raiders get set to take on the Finns later this afternoon at Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas. Jeremy, when you st- all this stuff we're talking about, the Dolphins and this, this, this mixed bag of a start, rough start that they've gotten off to, um, who's in trouble with this? Is, is, is the player, I mean, if the season goes south after the high expectations and uh, the excitement that was really filling Miami again with football and the Dolphins football, who, who's going to take the blame for that? Is, is, is Brian Flores, who I've said to you before, I really like as a young coach, uh, is he going to take the heat? Is it going to be the front office? Who right now is, is kind of the guy that if, if you're a Dolphins fan, you want to ask the questions and get answers from? That's another fantastic question, and, and it could go on for hours. But I'll give you kind of my, my short answer on it. I think everyone is on the hot seat for the Dolphins if they don't achieve anything this year. I mean, they don't have to go out there and win 13 games, but if they win like five, six games this year, mm. I mean, I think GM Chris Greer is on the hot seat. Brian Flores, who was announced to be on the hot seat by Jason Lockin for this offseason, I have also heard there's been some rumblings where the Dolphins and Brian Flores don't see eye-to-eye on some things. Potentially, they're starting quarterback. And honestly, the Brian Flores hot seat rumors, I do believe could heat up very much if these Dolphins underachieve because there's a lot of decisions made by Chris Freer and Brian Flores that have really, really hurt the Dolphins. I touched on the offensive line, which obviously is, you know, Chris Greer, Brian Flores drafting the guys they want. They've spent the most draft capital on their offensive line the last two seasons, and they have are no, they have the worst offensive line in football. I mean, that's that's fireable right there, in my opinion. That's a fireable offense. So, I think I think it's a great question. I honestly, if the Dolphins really, really underachieve, and the worst part about it is now, Dolphin fans will hate to hear this because a lot of people aren't talking about it. Say the Dolphins are one of the worst teams in the NFL, and they get a top five or a top ten pick. They don't even have their own pick. They traded that pick to the 49ers. They have the 49ers pick. So they could end up having an atrocious season and then not even being able to draft in the top 10. So it is a very scary time for the Dolphins right now. And that is a great question. I think all of them. I mean, Tua is definitely going to be gone. Tua would be gone. If they they underachieve and he's injured, there's no way they're sticking with Tua. I don't think they stick with anyone. I think they'd clear house. I really do think they could clear house, start fresh, and and bring someone new in there. New GM, new head coach, and, and start over. And that would be startling after this team, and you kind of saw it start to get get good and to get competitive. So, man, that would be incredible. We got 30 seconds here, so you're the new Mastradamus here. You, what is your <laughs> prediction for today's game, Raiders-Dolphins? How does it end up? Oh, it's going to be a blowout. It's going to be terrible. Max Crosby will be the MVP of the game. Derek Carr will throw for 300 yards. 
I think the Raiders will win. I'm gonna I'm gonna say the Dolphins actually score a point here, but I'm gonna say it's gonna be thirty-one <laughs> seven. Thirty-one wow. seven Raiders. Wow. It is gonna be it's gonna be an ugly game. The Dolphins will not be able to, to get the ball moving against the Raiders. Max Crosby, I'm so excited. I, I'm not excited because Dolphins fans are gonna hate me for that. But I am excited to see Max Crosby. I mean, well, he's probably so excited. He's probably telling the Raiders right now, "You better be ready to pay me big, big money after this game because I'm about to, I'm about to earn my money right now." He's about to eat, as they say. Well, Jeremy, I don't think you'll have any problem eating in Raider Nation because I think you just earned like yeah. a thousand invitations to tailgates <laughs> and to Thanksgiving. <laughs> so he's going to take, go. take my job. He's going to take your job. There you go. Jeremy <laughs> Klump I is the it. editor of Dolphin Digest. Jeremy, thanks for being with us, man. Yep, thanks for having me on, guys, and uh, I'll talk to you. Take care. All right, well, that's going to close it out for us in this segment here on Silver and Black Today. Game Day will be back right after this. Don't go anywhere, Raider Nation. Silver and Black Today. Game Day is on. Yeah, as you've seen, um, yeah, not too many blitzes. And when we have called them, you saw that they've come home. And so um, it's, it's really good when you can just rush with four and have the rest of the seven dropping back. But when we do dial it up, you know, teams aren't expecting it. And Gus, you know, for some reason, he has just perfect timing when he does call his blitz. And so, um, yeah, just, just what we can do up front, the versatility that we have on this team, we're bringing safeties off the edge when we need to, bringing some linebackers, it, it really helps us out. Countdown to game day here on Silver and Black. Today, game day, only on the fan here in Las Vegas. Mo Moten, Scockle Branson with you on this gorgeous Sunday morning in Las Vegas and other parts of the country, too, as we head into my favorite season, that is fall. We are talking Raiders football. The Raiders, of course, coming up. Later this afternoon, down at the Big Al. I know everybody likes to call it the Death Star, but I like the Big Al. uh, Or the Death Star uh, against the Miami Dolphins. A limping Miami Dolphins team, as you heard from Jeremy Klump. He does not pull punches in the last segment. By the way, if you missed the interview with Jeremy, since the game's not till later this afternoon, you got plenty of time to go back. You can listen right here on the Odyssey app uh, in on your phone. You can also make sure to to subscribe to the show in our podcast feed. So whether you're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, it doesn't matter where you get your podcasts. You can find us there. Just search Silver and Black today, and you'll find that, including our Southern California show, which airs on Friday night. And you can listen to, because I'm going to tell you, Jeremy's interview was awesome. Uh, Raider fans will like him, because not only does he give you information about the Dolphins, but he actually likes a lot of what the Raiders are doing. So that'll be fun. Make sure you follow also Mo on Twitter, at M-O-E-M-O-T-O-N. That's Mo Moten. I am at L-V Gully, and you can follow us on Twitter from the show, S-N-B Tonight on Twitter, as well. All right, Mo. So we're back here. Great conversation with Jeremy there. We start to talk about this Raiders team and the defense that we talked about earlier in the show. We came back sound KJ Wright, the linebacker, of course, formerly of the Seattle Seahawks played for Gus Bradley earlier in his career. That move, that move to bring Gus Bradley in his system. There was some concern with fans, Mo, about that because they don't blitz that much. But so far, you can't argue with the results. Yeah, that was one of the concerns that fans kind of mentioned to me on Twitter was, well, he doesn't blitz, so how are we going to get pressure? And my my now answer would be, well, if you're getting home with four, as KJ Wright just said, (laughs) you don't need to bring an extra blitzer on the outside or up the middle because you're getting home with your defensive line. And I think kudos to to Bradley for putting together that defensive line. A lot other other guys getting pressure other than Max Crosby, Quentin Jefferson, who KJ Wright talked about, 
He says he's one of the most underrated three-technique defensive tackles in the league. I would agree there with him. Carl Nassib getting in on the action. Of course, Yannick Ngakwe, when he's able to get on the field, causing have wreaking havoc. So the Raiders have multiple bodies. Phylon getting in there, who's a former Gus Bradley guy with the Chargers. So kudos to that defensive line. Kudos to those bodies rotating in getting pressure on the quarterback and making things happen. And you look at that too. I mean, I've been struggling because I really like Corey Littleton and I think still, he's still looking to find it, but man, I thought he played a much better game against Pittsburgh. That linebacking core with Wright, with him, with Denzel Perryman. um, I I see why Raider fans got excited despite the miss on Tanner Muse and all that and trying to develop players, but this unit, the way they're playing, Mo, you cannot, you cannot underscore enough how big it was that these guys were familiar with that system. Absolutely. And I just want to touch on Corey Littleton a little bit. A lot of fans are still skeptical and still kind of down on him. And I will say this, that but Corey Littleton, his best attribute is his coverage ability, right? Yes. So sometimes you're not going to see his effect in the box score. So you're not right. going to see him have 15 tackles and, and five interceptions. If he's doing his job the way he should be, that means a tight end is not getting catches in the seam routes. That means the running backs are not getting yards after the catch because he's there to make the stop. And sometimes it's not the flashiest thing, but when you look at the film, you see that he's in the right spot at the right time. He's doing the right thing and he's covering his assignments. And again, that doesn't that doesn't show up in the box score, but if you watch the film, He's definitely doing his job. Well, yeah, and that's the thing too. He's and, and I think that the, the the case with Littleton and how he's getting better and better with each of these these first two games is the fact that he's actually playing where he should, right? So he's not that thumper linebacker. You know, a lot of fans expect they want that thumper linebacker, and that's not him. Uh, you have KJ Wright can do that a little bit, uh, but certainly those guys as a unit, I'm just surprised, Mo, that they're playing so well together so quickly. I think KJ Wright said it best. They're not thinking. I want to say not mm. thinking, but they're they're reacting. They're, they're out there just playing fast. They don't have to think about what they're going to do before they do it. They just react to the play. Bam. They diagnose it. They make the tackle. They make the pass break up. It's there for them. And I think Gus Bradley simplifying that defensive scheme really helped. And we talked to uh, Michael Lombardi earlier before the season started, and I asked him directly, I said, do you think simplifying the game plan is going to help? And he was he was kind of iffy on that. Yeah. But in my mind, I was thinking, I think that's going to help this team because if you heard these players talk last year, they were thinking too much on the field and they weren't reacting in this complete opposite this year. No, now they know what to do. They know where to be. And to your point, when your mind is that free as a player on the field, especially on defense, you can now re- you see more. You see the field more, right? And, and so they're able to do that, and I think it's been amazing. When you look at the defensive backs now, let's switch gears a little bit, Mo. We look at Jonathan Abram, who I think playing in that box safety, playing in that aggressive role where he can, he can uh, rush the quarterback, play in the line of scrimmage, and do a little bit more. What do you think of his development so far through two games? A lot of people praised him for this past game. I thought he did some things really well. I think he's got a little way to go, but you're seeing progress. Definitely with John Abram, he's another one. If you're not calling his name and screaming at his name in agony (laughs) and anger, that means he's doing the right thing because too many times last year people were pulling out their hair because of something he did. Maybe he, he, you know, laid the wood too heavy. Maybe he had a penalty. Maybe he whipped on a tackle. You're not seeing that this year, which means he's playing disciplined football. He's playing smart football. And that that was the thing about him. If he could just tighten it up, 
he'll be a decent football player. Well, and the play of Nate Hobbs, uh, amazing. I think the kid is, I mean, KJ Wright, I didn't play the clip, but during the press conference earlier in the week, he talked about Nate Hobbs and said, look, the guys, it's like he's a veteran on the field there. Like he acts like a veteran. He performs like a veteran. So, I mean, huge kudos for the Raiders for that, that move and what they were able to do in the draft with him. Uh, And of course, Trayvon Mullen had some very good moments as well. Um, I was, some, some people were angry with me because I pointed out that Damon Arnett came in, had a nice pass breakup, but then he had the long play to Claypool where then he just failed to touch him on the ground and he got up and got six more yards. So uh, Damon Arnett, to me, I'm, I'm still concerned. I think the jury's still out and he's still got to figure out a way to focus and become the player that they need him to be. Two points I want to point out really quick. Remember after Final Cuts, people were worried about Nevin Lawson, the Raiders <laughs> not cutting him. Why don't they cut Nevin Lawson? We have Nate Hobbs. And I, and I said, wait, chill, just wait a minute. You know, they want to see how Nate Hobbs does in a regular game before they cut uh, Nevin Lawson. Look what happened. Nate Hobbs is playing his his heart out. He's he's filling in that slot cornerback position. And what did the Raiders do? They let go of Nevin Lawson, who signed with the Jacksonville Jaguars. So there you go, fans. Now on to Damon Arnett. <laughs> the funny thing about Damon Arnett is I don't think Raiders fans appreciate Casey Hayward enough until ah. Damon Arnett comes in the game. Yes, sir. When, when, when Casey Hayward had to come off because he got hurt a couple of times and Damon Arnett had to come on and he got beat deep like uh, Chase Claypool, then people was like, Where, where's Casey Hayward? You know, But a lot of people weren't talking about him before that. And to your point about Damon Arnett, I, I think there's a legitimate concern there, obviously, because he's still getting beat. He's still a young player. He he's not playing as much as a as a Brian Edwards and Henry Ruggs on the other side of the ball in their second year. So he's not going to have the same rate of development because he's not getting those reps on the field in live action. Hmm. But I would say this that it, if Casey Hayward stays healthy and Tra- Trayvon Mullen stays healthy, the Raiders are solid on the outside. Now if one of those guys goes out, Damon Arnett is going to have to step in, and we're going to have to see Ron Miles and and Gus Bradley kind of develop him on the fly. Yeah, no, that's true. And and you meant you mentioned um, uh, Casey Hayward, uh, amazing, and he's done well. I know he got banged up or he had some cramps uh, during the game and had to come out. That's why you saw Arnett in there. But but his presence there again on the back end in the Gus Bradley system with the knowledge and being able to teach those younger guys, boy, those moves look really brilliant. It's paying off for them back there as well. And and that's really impressive. And and I'm just thinking to myself, wow, you know that that has all come together, which is why this defense to me overall is playing really well. The other guy too got some playing time and is really doing, I think a, a, a good job and showing his development uh, as a rotational player is a Meek Robertson. Um, he went in there, played well too. It's a guy you and I both have liked uh, throughout the process since he was drafted. So they're, they're getting contributions from all of those guys on defense, Mo. Yeah. And again, I, Kudos to the development that coach staff is mm-hmm. developing the young players. Sometimes it takes time. I know a lot of fans are are impatient. They want to see the flash right away, the first year, the first <laughs> half of the season. They want to see it in the rookie year. It just sometimes doesn't happen, especially if you don't have the right guy coaching your players. Not to take a shot at Gunther, but maybe it is. <laughs> but you got Gus Bradley in there. I said, you know, a lot of these players that didn't pop in their first year, let's wait to see what they look like in Gus Bradley's system. And if they don't pop there, then – then you show concern, but until they get on the field in that system, you could see some flashes. Yeah, no doubt about it. And uh, again, you're here. This is Scott and Mo. We are silver and black today, game day, as we help you get ready. 
What are you cooking right now? Are you getting ready for the tailgate? Are you out at the stadium listening to us uh, down by Allegiant or wherever you may be? Are you in the Bay Area? Wherever you're listening to us nationwide, hope you're getting ready for the game and uh, save us uh, a little bit as well as a, as a beverage. Uh, but we're, we're counting down to game day here as the Raiders prepare for the Miami Dolphins coming up at 1 p.m. down at Allegiant Stadium right off of Polaris and Russell Rhodes. Of course, there's Al Davis Road and all that stuff that they've done now. It's also near Dean Martin. I'm just giving you the streets, right, Mo? Because I know the streets. Um, but we start to turn our focus, Mo, now for the rest of the show on this game, on the Dolphins game. We obviously know who's out for the Raiders uh, going into the morning as far as who we heard about during the week. Derek Carr's a go. Uh, Alex Weather- Leatherwood will be a game-time decision. Uh, Incognito still out, not going to make this game again. Josh Jacobs is out, not going to be back there. Um, when you look at this game early on, I really thought that this would be a struggle for the Raiders. It would be a close game at home. The odds makers still see it as a close game, which is a little surprising to me. The Raiders coming in are three and a half point favorites with a 45 over under. I think that's a little high. Again, um, when you look at this matchup now, Mo, knowing that two is out of the game, knowing that on the other side, Josh Jacobs is out of the game and you still have that offensive line. Uh, how do you see this one going down? Is this going to be a high scoring affair for the Raiders? Is their offense going to go nuts again? Well, shout out to my guy, Nutty X Professor. You kind of stole my thunder. He's <laughs> a Raider rah-rah, but I, I don't think it's going to be all that close. I, I do agree with you. It's going to be low scoring because the Dolphins still have a formidable defense mm-hmm. and they're going to give the Raiders some issues. But I think the Raiders pull it out. And because, of again, as the way Derek Carr is playing and the way that defense is playing, they have the balance there. And I think they can pull it out. The Dolphins just don't score enough points. Uh, they didn't score any points against the Bills last week. And they got Jacoby Brissett out there who's in his first start with the Dolphins. So I, I think that offense could look very clunky and the Raiders come up with the win 24-16. Yeah, and, and to me, do, is there any concern for you, despite the issues with the Dolphins, that that this could be sort of what they call a trap game? Because you have the two big wins for the Raiders, oh, of course, the Ravens and then the Steelers on the road, a huge win. They come home because they know they got the Chargers, which is an AFC West matchup down in Los Angeles on the 4th. So on next Monday, it's a Monday night game again. So so do you think there's any chance of that? I mean, look, that's all up to the coaching and the players to keep focused. But do you worry about that at all? I don't only because the Raiders have typically done well at the beginning of the season. You know, mm. if you know me, you know I hate the term trap game for the Raiders yes. because to me the Raiders just haven't – earned it to look over any team yet they have not won a division title in a while they have not gone to the playoffs since 2016 they have not earned the right to overlook any team in the nfl because these are all professionals take every game as as your best opponent and put your best foot forward and just look forward to the next game which is getting to three and right and i think too that you look at this division and i i saw some really funny stuff from raider fans uh, trolling Chargers fans and Chiefs fans because they're <laughs> they're in last place together in the AFC West uh-huh. and I and I love that the fans are enjoying that but at the same time uh-huh. I really believe that the Chargers and Chiefs are much better than the Broncos and so for oh, yeah. the, for the Raiders having to go down and play the Chargers that's a huge game it's a Monday night game again so uh, that's a big matchup it always is uh, and there'll be plenty of Raider Nation 
at SoFi Stadium down in Los Angeles, of course, their second home. Oh, that'll be fun. But then they have to come home and play the Bears. Um, and the Bears haven't been great, but you just never know. And it's So you got those games, and then you face the Broncos again. So you can't lose focus, and you're right about the trap game, and you made that point last year with us on the radio, right, which was you got to earn that. Like you, ha- you have to win consistently. But I think that this game is important for them to put away, to put away as early as they can as well, because if you can get some guys some rest, uh, that would help as well. So, so Mo, how do you see it coming out? Give me a prediction on this game. Give me a score. 24-16 Raiders. Um, now, if the Raiders lose this game, you can you know, all blame me because I'm the jinx on this. <laughs> uh, so I'm picking the Raiders to win this. And, if you know, I, I, I honestly feel like they, it'll be a tough first half, but I think yeah. the Raiders pull away in the second half to get this win. All right. I'm going to say 28-10 Raiders. So it'll go under and they'll cover, obviously. So take that for what you will. Entertainment purposes only. Uh, but no, enjoy that. <laughs> uh, if you can bet it from your phone or if you're in Vegas, uh, that's great. If you're in Vegas, you're going to enjoy the game and you haven't been to Allegiant Stadium yet. You're going to love it uh, as as well. So we appreciate you being with us. We're here. We're at the end of our show, Mo. It just goes by so quick on game day, man. Uh, but uh, Mo, as always, man, I appreciate you being here. I appreciate you, Scott. We'll be back when the Raiders get to 3-0. That's right. And preparing for the chart. Preparing for a Monday night game. All right. For Mo Moten, I am Scott Colbranson. This has been Silver and Black Today Game Day on the Fan in Las Vegas. Have fun at the game, everybody. We'll talk to you next week. <laughs>